guys what's good you're tuned into this special early morning broadcast of mango masala pie radio south asian show i'm simran and i'm joined here with carlos you sound like you're doing an asmr thing that's because everybody in my house is asleep guys it is 8 45 in the morning carlos has dragged me out of bed to um record this for you now so i will have to be slightly quiet and sorry but i need to wake up Okay, Carlos, you were literally asleep like 20 minutes ago. Still am. You were literally... Carlos butt-dialed me in his sleep the other day, and when I say in his sleep, it was midday. Why are you out me? I'm a big fan of turning butt-dials into just uh, catch-ups. I'm a big fan of noisy time, so with that in mind, let's get started. I have a, like a topic of debate question Right, go on. If you could get a black card, which means like unlimited meals and drinks and whatever from any fast food restaurant what would it be did i just say first of all that i don't understand why places like nando's like or in general why they give it to celebs because those are the people that can actually afford it like what is the point it's just promo though isn't it yeah but i haven't seen anyone talk about getting a nando's black card in a long time though because he lives that's a roll That is it's expensive now as well. Yeah, you could really use it. So that, that's not a bad shout, to be fair. I would say something like ASOS, but then I feel like that's bad no, for the fast, environment. fast food. Oh, it has to be food. Okay. Um, yeah, Nando's is a, not a bad shout. I feel like it would have to be Nando's because I think it's a good balance between not being too unhealthy and there's variety on the menu. I know it's all chicken, basically, but why? What would you say? McDonald's. Right, simmering. And we're not. <laughs> we are boycotting McDonald's at the moment. However, I need to. I need you guys to understand that there's a business operation here. I'm buying Big Macs. I'm buying 50 Big Macs and I'm standing outside of like Leeds City Centre on a Tuesday night, Liverpool City Centre on a Tuesday night, Birmingham City Centre on a Tuesday night, outside of like flipping, what are the, what are the clubs? Snobs, Rosies, Skin, what, what are all those big uni clubs? And I'm selling Big Macs. I'm selling Big Macs for £3 a Big Mac, yeah? That's £150, like an hour's work. I was thinking more along the lines of if you've got a black card, then you're not actually giving them any money, so... Yeah, so I can make money off it. No, but stop there. You don't think about yourself. Just think about, okay, like, this is fine in terms of if I'm going to boycott. But... <laughs> okay, um, then I want Nando's. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, next topic. Have you seen about one of your fellow... What do you call people from Slough? Slaudonians. Yeah, sure. Yeah, fine. Slaudonian. You seen about the girl with the A levels? Yeah, it was like 28 A levels or something. Yeah, she's from Slough. Honestly, gang. But second of all, (laughs) that is the most like Slough thing because, like, my school's jokes. Basically, I was talking to my mum the other day and I was like saying how um, I'm perfect and how, like, she's so blessed to have me as a daughter. And I was basically telling her, like, in my life, in my 24 years of life, I was like, mom, like, what's the worst thing that you can even say that I've done? Like, what's the biggest trouble I've got in? And you genuinely know what it was. In my high school year, they made us sit ICT GCSE a year early so we could do more GCSEs the year after. Isn't that the most slow thing you've ever heard? Like, basically, slow is not, like, it's 
it's consistently ranked as a really poor area in the UK, not poor like economically, but just poor, like not a nice place, right? However, it has some of the best schools in the UK. Like the quality of schools is like really high and you have to, a lot of the schools are like, you have to do the 11 plus entry exam to get in and like the quality of teaching is really high and then a lot of like people go to like really elite universities and stuff. So cool, great on that part. That's why a lot of people move here for the schools and stuff like that. Anyway, um... So yeah, they made us do they made us do ICT GCSE a year early. So in like I don't know once it was year nine or year ten or something, we had just ICT GCSE to focus on like nothing else, just like practicing for the other ones. But the real thing was just that exam. I got a B. All right, Bs are not bad. B is a perfectly fine grade. Yeah, but in pure Desi fashion, my mom. In my 24 years of being alive, I've never got in worse trouble than when I got a B in my GCSE. I, like, oh my god, I've never been shouted at so much in my life. Okay, there's very much something to be said about the school system in Slough. And I feel like it's too niche to actually talk about it on radio because this is so relevant. But the concept of the 11 plus inherently is quite classist because they don't teach 11 plus content in public schools right they don't teach it in school it's not in the curriculum so you have to pay for private tuition which is very expensive very expensive so your parents have to be able to afford i don't know an hour to three hours maybe of private tuition and they have to have the time to sit down with you and go through mistakes and mark homework and stuff like that like forget like taking you there and back and all this that and the other right so inherently like the concept of tutoring and schooling your child for the 11 plus to get into a good school is quite a classist concept because there's a there's a barrier to it a massive economic barrier and the the problem is with Slough in particular and I'm speaking from experience here is the difference between the grammar and the state schools is stark like the grammar schools, like, there's such a high proportion of kids that go on to, like, Oxbridge or Russell Group universities versus the state schools where, like, just, just the difference is, like, crazy. The quality in teaching, the quality in, like, behaviour and stuff like that is just, it's, honestly, it's so stark. So, like, you, as a parent of a young child, would really want your kid to pass the 11 plus, but if you don't have the financial means to do that, you are essentially not, like, sealing that kid's future because obviously there's still a big chance that they could be absolutely fine but like you are dampening their chances quite a lot i mean it makes sense it's like kind of like the whole issue with private schools as a whole and i feel like a lot of yeah. people with grammar schools will kind of go at it with the idea of like oh yeah but you're not you don't necessarily pay to go there so it's kind of like a bit of a loophole but in reality yeah. you still obviously have to get in and how do you get in by having the necessary education and resources exactly. in the first place and i'm saying this from a very privileged point of view because i got to go to tuition and I, i'm gonna sit here and complain about it because it was like military boot camp um but I got to go to grammar school here and I'm very thankful that I went down the life path that I did because of it. And I've said this to like my aunts and uncles who have like younger kids now and they're thinking about like doing the 11 plus or like they're in the middle of the 11 plus and I've always said like, if you can do it, you really need to put the time, effort and money towards getting your kid passed because the difference between going to the grammar and state schools here is so big. But yeah, anyway, all that being said is to say that the schools here are nuts and i'm just so not surprised that she's doing 28 a levels um and she said she said that like four is not a challenge and like well this is like, the oh thing God. you say about the school but the reality is she's only doing four actually in school yeah the other 24 are at home so i like 
I think I feel like a lot of people have taken the story like quite lighthearted, but like I it's again it's very related to slab like i had like a lot of kids in my school that their parents would be like can we sign them up for extra a levels can we sign them up for extra gcses can we do this that and the other and the school would put their foot down and be like no this is how we do it we don't put them in for five six seven a levels because it's too much for the kid like let's just you know this is tried and tested we're going to do it our way and then so many kids as parents would sign them up for a levels outside of school so they would do like five a levels or like maybe like i don't know how many gcses we did i don't know 10 12 so they do like 15 gcses for example like it was just a joke like say your kid didn't qualify by the school's metrics to do like further maths they didn't just go do it outside school somewhere and remember like the the absolute vast majority of my school demographically was desi like indian pakistani and sri lankan would made up the majority of students <laughs> Um, so I think it definitely does speak to like the cultural standards that we have in terms of like academic excellence and then pushing your kid, obviously coming from a place where you want the best for them, mm. which I think is also like, you know, we could go into it, but like shrouded by a bit of like the shut aspect and like, you know, if you want your kid to be good, so people can't say anything about your kid. Like it's not really anyway without getting into that. But yeah, the whole thing of like, you want the best for your kid, but sometimes the best for your kid can actually be understanding that let's play to their strengths instead of overloading them with exams and just hoping that they'll do well or also like let's let them be kids like with this person in particular so she's saying that she's studying for 28 a levels because she wants to avoid narrowing her options Mm -hmm. she's supposedly got a 161 iq which is higher than that of the late um stephen hawking and guess how many gcse's she did oh my god like 25 34 yep um so she's studying for four a levels at her sixth form i don't know if you do you know the school henrietta barnett i think it's like a really like very very good school and then she completes her extra studies at home and she said i just didn't want to narrow down my choices and i think if i had done four a levels i would have been very dissatisfied with the academic challenge provided to me so i just decided to go that extra mile and the thing is when i hear that i'm like okay fair enough if that's you if if like being academic is your thing because i'm not about to i'm not I'm not, well, I am kind of saying go and touch grass, but I'm also kind of like, if that's your thing, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to put you down for like you being really interested in academia. But that being said, there's a line. And there's, there's a, there's a point to be considered that how much of the extent of it was the parents pushing her towards it versus her being able to nurture her hobbies and what she likes to do as a child growing up. Because obviously this is, this is like, obviously speaks more to like her entire life the last 17 18 years of her life that she's probably just been like raised to like smash school but then they probably like saw that she was naturally gifted and maybe she enjoys it you never know this is what i mean she's saying that she supposedly enjoys it but that being said i think personally i think from a parent's perspective i feel like first of all you have to kind of take a step back and realize that come on even the brainiest of kids maybe they want to do a couple extra a levels fair enough but doing like seven times the amount of the normal like (laughs) amount that people would do 
As I, know, it's I think there's, there's, it's a bit excessive, and I think it's what people have been saying when like they've been seeing her in interviews. Obviously, don't want to like judge a book by its cover, but she does seem to be quite tired. Do you oh, know what I mean? But but it's like she but she she seems to be fine with it. She's like, oh yeah, I really love like doing this and that, whatever. But I just think ultimately, I think from a what's it called pastoral point of view, mm. I feel like then, someone needs to. You? when they're not they're not in charge of the 24 extra yeah. a level that she's doing yeah but i think even i don't know that's like, down to the parents you know what i mean and but like, this but is I what like I mean. no one raises their kid to do 28 a levels it just happened by like chance that she ended up being super smart so they were like okay but then obviously i don't know who would voluntarily want to do 28 a levels but, but maybe that's just a level of the fact Love to the that, grind that we can't comprehend. <laughs> can't relate. The fact Literally. that she, this story is like in the news recently, I think should be, yeah. it should hopefully ring alarm bells that maybe someone is like going and doing a welfare check. Well, I think it does definitely hit home for like me and people that have like come from here because this is what it is kind of like obviously this is an extreme example but this is kind of what it was like like i was told my whole life that i had to pass 11 plus then i had to pass my gcs because i had to go to my school six one because it was the best one then i had to get these a-level grades to get into a russell group university to then do a postgrad like that was my whole life basically and i'm not saying that in like a oh no that was like traumatic or like you know i'm obviously now i'm very 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 grateful for it but there wasn't like I've, I've said this to you before Carlos in conversation that like where I grew up there wasn't a lot of scope for like playing sports or being artistic or like you know it wasn't really a big thing here um everything was based on school and your self-worth was 100% based on your school performance um which obviously has such massive knock-on effects as you grow up and you realize that like not everyone is gifted and talented and like you know your a-level grades suddenly don't mean anything in the big wide world um, still yeah. try if anyone's listening still try try to do your best but if oh, it yeah, doesn't sorry. get a plan so, like, obviously, then it's really it not you, the end of the world your, yeah it's really not the end of the world and like i was told forever that my a-levels were going to be the hardest thing that i've ever done so i went into it scared they were right they, they were tough and like four four a-levels no three and a half a-levels was really hard for me so how she's doing 28 i've got no idea that being said i just hope that this person that is doing 28 a levels is actually okay and yeah yeah but like yeah if you live somewhere where the 11 plus is such a big deal like i really sympathize because it it is it's tough like the school system is just tough like yeah hard and it's just like i just feel bad for parents that have to choose between things like tutoring their kid and then like thinking of their kid's long-term future versus like the here and now of like money and stuff it's just it's, i would just hate to have that kind of like struggle yeah it's tough i do think from my perspective i want to focus more on different kinds of education rather than just academic education i, would, I just don't i would love if my kid loved to study right and they like the like i obviously want my kid to do well at school 100 percent, and i would encourage that but if my kid also really loves like i don't know hockey painting music like go fly do you think exactly that's not encouraged enough in our community i don't think 
also I was fuming, like looking at all of her twenty um, A levels and music isn't on there. Oh my god, I was gonna say like, what even are they? This is there's like three different versions how many, of maths. How like. many subjects are there? Yeah, one is like oh film god, studies. Didn't even know it existed. I also saw a comment on Instagram, and obviously, it's not the nicest comment ever. But it was basically saying like all of that work just to go to uni with kids with three A levels. Yes, that is very true. But I think that her point would be she didn't do it for that. She's not doing it for to get into uni. She's doing it because she loves studying. So. But didn't she say she doesn't want to narrow her options? It's all about the academic challenge, Simran. You wouldn't know. Anyway, moving on to this week's segment of Bad Vibes Island. Thing. Um, or I'm considering renaming it to the UK as a simulation. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, why can't we just call it, like, This Week in England News? <laughs> that's boring, Sibiru. No, but it's just all bad vibes. When is it ever good vibes? Well, this doesn't exactly help that. The Home Office is apparently going to pay influencers to urge others on TikTok to not cross the English Channel in small boats. If this is real, yeah, we are genuinely living in an episode of Black Mirror. That is 100% so plausible as a Netflix Black Mirror episode. Yeah. Like, that... If... I don't know what to say for the people that sign up for this, that, like, agree yeah, to... Yeah, this is the thing. Like, any TikToker that does sign up to it... Mm. Side-eye. But... Um, the person who came up with this, you lot are so out of ideas. It's <laughs> I mad. saw someone tweet something that said, if I came up with these ideas at work, I would be sacked. And I think yeah. it, I think it's in two ways. I think, first of all, because it's an inherently bad idea, but also because of the obviously um, racist and xenophobic undertones of it. Like, if they, ra- if they talked about this type of thing, they would be sacked because of that. But this is literally in government. This is, like, what they're discussing. And I'm pretty sure it is real because representatives from the Home Office have talked talked about it so social media influencers are going to be offered thousands of pounds to post content deterring people in countries where migrants often originate by talking about new immigration laws and the threat of deportation to rwanda a home office spokesperson has said that the department makes no apologies for using every means necessary to stop the boats and save lives people smugglers frequently use social media to peddle lies and promote their criminal activities do you know what this is giving this is giving donald trump politics this is giving trump politics because this is this is when he was like standing up there on the speeches saying they are criminals that this that like he was actually branding mexican people as like every well like, to be fair like they, they they are referring to the people smugglers as criminals but still no but like basically saying that like this is stopping crime and like i oh, just what in the world is going on it's the fact that it's just very out of touch and also it's literally in that sentence where they're saying like oh people smugglers use social media so we need to use it as well it's like you're basically saying that you're stooping to the level of people that are promoting these very dangerous methods and 
it, the, again, it's the fact that instead of offering safe alternatives to seeking asylum by getting in these small boats and um, coming to the UK illegally, you're focusing on just, no, the boat shouldn't exist. Like that, that's you're, you're focusing purely on stopping like all, all people from getting in the boats rather than actually offering an alternative. Which again, we said multiple times, if anyone like has seen like the kind of tragedy that can occur and the type of trauma that's associated with that, no one is doing that unless no. they absolutely have to. Why are we not talking about that? Like, no one is packing up their lives and putting their like children and themselves on a boat to sail across the ocean for fun. Mm. No one is doing this for a laugh. People are fleeing. Obviously, yeah. something much worse. Even like the because a lot of people say, "Oh no," but it's like single males that come here so that then they can like, bring their families. Even then, no one risks their life in that way. They're still risking their life, like try, especially like now, for example, like some of the coldest, um, and yeah. most bad weather months of the year. Like, I'm just very cognizant of the language that they use now of like ensuring that we're viewing these people as not just criminal but like subhuman right they are very very carefully picking their language to ensure that we are on the government side here and that we kind of are endorsing the techniques that they're using to deter people because these people are inherently bad which they're in my opinion not bad at all right okay again it's just to find this like every means necessary to stop the boats and save lives but the thing is as well the slogan isn't save lives the slogan is stop the boats <laughs> this is protecting the lives of people here that are that t that have these opinions that that match the conservative party basically and also rishi sunak has banged on about stopping the boats yeah the uk went into a recession yesterday rishi yeah I had people, I was watching BBC News and they were like, it's Rishi's recession. I was like, yes, it is. Because this is the man that literally said he was going to turn the economy, like flip it around. Bring back Liz Truss. Yeah. <laughs> it's so mad that her literal, her literal legacy is a lettuce because every time I think of her, I just think of lettuce now. <sighs> yeah. But I ain't to round up on this TikTok boat thing. Like, it is just... What what next? Can you imagine like doing the TikTok dance like stop? No, but that's literally what you know. That's literally what it's going to be like. Like you're 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 saying it as a joke, but that's genuinely what it's going to be like. What like you know you said like what else? I'm actually I actually fear to think what else because after our prime minister bet a thousand pounds that he would get people on boats before the next general election, and then this where it was planes. Oh, you know. Sorry, not boats. Planes, yes, to Rwanda. And then, what, less than two weeks later, this? Give it another two weeks, and it will be something else equally as heinous. Like, it's just, this is just blowing my mind right now. <sighs> Nothing more to say. When is the general election? They haven't confirmed yet. I think the earliest it'll be is the end of this year. Moving across the globe now, um, to what was... I believe one of our very first conversations returning, which isn't necessarily a good thing, 
Oh, God. Farmer protests. Oh, I know. Indian police are using tear gas and water cannons to stop farmers demanding minimum crop prices from marching on the capital of Delhi. The capital is, like, surrounded by razor wires, cement blocks, and fencing on three sides in order to block their entry. Obviously, most of the farmers are from Punjab, and they're still around 125 miles from Delhi as of Friday the 16th. Um, India has deployed thousands of security forces to block their entrance. Um, The reason why the farmers are protesting is because they say that the government has broken the promises that it made following the last series of protests. Um, I think it was around the beginning of lockdown, like 2020-2021. so far they've alleged that plastic and rubber bullets have been used against them mm-hmm. and they've also criticized the indian media saying that a perception is being created that they're terrorists or aligned with opposition parties um they've said that it's absolutely not to do with that our demands have always been the same from the yeah. very beginning 100% and the Indian government have been very again selective with the words they use to describe these people that they're being branded as Khalistani which in India essentially is likened to a terrorist group at this point and it's very important to note that not all of these Punjab um, farmers are from Punjab and not all of these farmers are sick um so branding everyone as a group as Khalistani terrorists basically just it doesn't do anything like the indian government are in a very awkward position right now in that they have an election coming up that they're, that branding them as the opposition which by the way in india doesn't really exist there isn't really much of an opposition um but kind of i've seen online this discourse about like the farmers is kind of the one last thing that's standing in the way of a very clear victory and like a very like clear line of support for them Hence, why they physically cannot let them into Delhi. Hmm. Which is why they're basically expending so much military effort on blocking the borders of Delhi. Um, which is a mad, it's a mad idea as well, isn't it? If you think about, can you imagine like them like putting like a literal wall around London, for example? And but, like, I just think it's so embarrassing. I just think it's hmm. so embarrassing from the government. Like, that and also i think what india everyone says india is one of if not the biggest democracy in the world right yeah right yeah. right like oh my god that statement actually like boils my blood if it's such if it's the democracy that you say it is allow for like free freedom of protest yeah. why are they being banned they, they they literally are from your country and you're banning them from the capital nah sorry Oh, that's really annoys me. Yeah. yeah, we'll go into more detail in this in a later episode, I believe. But yeah, but, bear yeah. solidarity with the farmers and the people protesting and just make sure you keep your eyes on like what is going on because trust me, like last time, they have already resorted to violent techniques and we just can only pray that it doesn't get any worse um, and just keep your eyes on what's going on there because the chances are this situation is going to be ongoing now. Um, And, yeah, that's all I have to say, really. The fact that they've resorted to this when they're literally still over 100 miles away from Delhi as well. Embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, Final point um, of discussion, again... 
not something overly positive, but still something very much necessary that we need to cover. Um, most recent happenings in Palestine. I believe at the end of last week, we discussed obviously that um, Israel was preparing for an offensive in Rafa, which is one of the southernmost points in Gaza. Um, if that hadn't already happened by last Saturday, I can't remember, but it, um, it has happened now and it was catastrophic, is catastrophic as was expected. Can I just ask you a question? Yeah. You probably know this better than me, but where is the UN? It's the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. That is the one that um, supposedly stopped giving aid to Palestine because um, it was accused of being complicit in what happened in October the 7th, allegedly. Oh my god! So and it, it and there were a whole load of countries, other countries that were supporting that, and it's just a bit like, well, obviously, if that's a, if this is a claim against them, it's very serious and needs to be taken mm. seriously. But at the same time, like, how are you gonna be like, okay, let's just pause humanitarian aid going into and, Palestine, like whilst this is happening? Yes, exactly. Like, like as if Palestinian civilians have any any involvement in that. Mm. Can I just say that the like IDF basically said that their attacks in Rafa were very precise and like pre-planned because they had trusted intelligence that Hamas terrorists were in these hospitals, were in these bases, were basically everywhere that's been bombed. The footage has since come out that this is like actual carpet bombing and this is not intelligent or precise operations being carried out. This is this is bombing of hospitals, of like what what else is encampments keeping in mind that everyone was forced south to Rafa in the first place. Yeah. So I think the original population, I want to say, was, I think, 200,000 around that. Um, it's currently around 1.4 million Palestinians sheltering there. They've obviously been told to go there at the start of this whole ordeal. Um, and people then, were shot on the way as well, by yeah. the way. Um, and they're now being told to go to this other place, like, over on the coast. Um, Netanyahu has vowed to continue his offensive, um, even though now, like, a lot of other world leaders are kind of backpedaling with their tails between their legs, like, oh, no, well, wait, like, this is bad. Because like because before, before this happened, before anything happened in Rafa, there was talks that potentially something might happen. And then so many world leaders came out to condemn Israel, finally, to say, basically, like, we can't support an attack in Rafa. We can support everything else that's been going on, sure, mm. but we cannot now support an attack in Rafa because, obviously, that is so clear. You've evacuated, evacuate, evicted everyone from their homes in the north. You've forced them down south where they're now living wall to wall, and now you want to align on attacks there. The idea of these attacks being sourced from trusted intelligence from freed is, um, Israeli hostages and precise and like thought out and planned is the biggest farce. I'm not going to say it. Biggest, yeah, biggest farce that I've seen because when you look at the videos that have come out from what's been happening in Rafa. It's brutal. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. It's, well, some of, it's some of the worst I've seen since... Okay. Yeah, the particularly disturbing images of children as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I think the other thing that I wanted to touch on as well is 
currently as of Friday the 16th there's a bit of a focus on Southern Gaza's main hospital which is um, NASA hospital in Khan Yunus um, and the Israeli military has claimed that it has apparently captured dozens of terror suspects during a raid on this hospital um, again like there's this whole debate on how um morally correct is it if at all to raid a literal hospital during if we even if we're not going like we are calling it genocide but even if they're not calling it genocide during a war at least um obviously the fact that they raided this hospital staff and patients were forced to flee under gunfire again they've said that it was a precise and limited mission um, as it had intelligence that Hamas had held hostages there um, and it's just from what I've seen it's just chaos like they released yeah. dogs into the hospital um, they've been shelling they've been like um, shelling the hospital there's obviously all this rushing about panic I think I saw something about them like bursting a sewage pipe and they like like have patients having to be moved around and everything it's just yeah it's just not great at all didn't it start during the Super Bowl yes the Rafa offensive you're right yeah this is the whole thing as well like it kind of started well, everyone's looking at Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and the that's Super Bowl yeah. and Usher not, that's obviously not any attack on those people but like uh, just saying people were watching Super Bowl it's such a global yeah. event that takes place every year it started during the Super Bowl that's, that's you can't say for a second that that's not timed yeah and the thing is as well you can't say that this isn't timed because israel literally has a history of launching offensives in palestine and surrounding areas um during like high attention events elsewhere there's literally there's, there's multiple examples if you go and look at it it's now nine thirty-three. Um, I can't remember going into it. My dog's barking. Um, I think it's time to wrap this up. Thanks, guys, for tuning in and coming up. We've got an interview with Argyle and Navini coming up. So looking forward to that. We will catch you guys next week. Take care. Bye. Yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Mango Masala, Pi Radio South Asian show. My name is Gerns and I'm here with Argyle and Naveni. How are you doing? We're good. Well, I'm good. How are you, Argyle? I'm doing good, darling. What's happening? Thanks for having us. No, thank yeah. you. Definitely didn't just start this conversation and um, forget to hit record, but we go again. <laughs> We're saying before, obviously known of both of you for a while now and obviously when i saw when you guys were making a track together it's a great opportunity to speak to you both about the track and your artistry as well um so for the people at home that maybe don't know um much about you or your music and um, maybe you just want to give them a bit of background so naveni should we start with you yeah thank you so honestly like thanks for having us i've seen you support uh, my music for a while so i'm really like happy to be here and uh yeah i'm Naveni, I'm a singer-songwriter slash producer and I'm based in Switzerland but my mum's British, my dad's Indian um, and yeah I've been writing music for quite a while now. I've released an album 2022, have my EP coming soon, super excited about that. Um, yeah putting quite a lot of music out there and my most recent single was the one with Argyle together which was a really spe special release for me. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it. Hi, I'm here. Uh, also, thanks for having us. Um, 
I'm originally from Scotland, but I'm half Punjabi from my dad's side. Uh, I'm also based in Zurich at the moment. And uh, musical style, yeah, I suppose it's kind of, it goes through some changes and it will be as planned. But uh, so far, I kind of did a lot of ballad stuff, moving into some more soulful stuff at the minute. But, uh, but I come from a bit of a room, to be honest, to like loads of blues, rock, hip hop, as influences when I was young. But um, but I, no, I'm happy to be here, mate. Thanks for inviting us on. Both of you, though, I'd say like the musical styles which you've covered, I'd say they're not exactly the norm in the sense that a lot of people, particularly younger artists, will see, will go straight into very much like that kind of vibe that we hear like in the top 40 sort of thing but i'd say both of you two have gone down a lot more of a i don't want to use the word sophisticated because i don't think that pop necessarily isn't sophisticated but i think both of you have definitely gone down a more like for need of a better word classical route maybe like it's you've definitely like you're saying you've got those blues influences the bossa nova all of that so i'm curious as to how you ended up going down that path instead of maybe going down a musical career that is a bit more mainstream if that makes sense yeah i think the song like for me it's it is a mix between pop r&b and soul um actually for the music i make i feel like it is more on the pop side um but at the same time i see where you're coming from it it's um yeah it's got a lot of soul in it as well and i don't know i think we really blended our genres together argyle um i think this song is really like a mix between both of our styles which i love about the song i 100 percent. i mean um i always kind of had this plan which is well tying into your question really kind of against the the commercial way to to go if you want to be successful like i always i always loved like to sing sad ballad music i love to sing soul music and then blues rock, da da da. So I kind of made this weird plan to, <laughs> to go through all those genres, which, uh, like I say, it's not the most sophisticated, uh, well, not the most commercial way to go about it. But I think, I don't know, I think just honest music resonates in the long term. You know, right now there's a lot of overproduced uh, commercial pop and nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but I feel like everything has its time and its phase and it's just about making stuff that you're proud of later on. Do you know what I mean? Organic. For me, it means organic instruments. Um, some tracks might need more layers than others, but just just honest music, you know, real instruments and, and lyrics that mean something to you. In terms of this track then, For the Night, um, the venue you just said about how it's kind of like a fusing of both of your, yours' music so far. How did this um, collaboration actually come about then? Like, did one of you reach out to the other or were, was that kind of like, did you already both know of each other? Like, how did that connection end up happening? I think we both played at the same venue at some point. Like years ago. Yeah. It's a time coming for us as well. We've always been like, we need to work together. Um, yeah, it's been like, I've, I've known you, but I haven't actually met you. I've known you for like three years now or two years, maybe, maybe two years. I know, just the socials, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was really nice to actually meet you in person. The first time we um, met in person was the studio session to record the song, and that's the first time I actually met you. So it was, it was so special. Yeah. Oh, that's that's right. Actually, that's I, I, true. Didn't even, I didn't even. I didn't even. It didn't. It didn't feel like that. To it didn't be feel like that. No. Like I've known you for ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. It didn't feel like that, but yeah, I think we just clicked, and then um, um, I think you texted me, but we were gonna. 
we were gonna write stuff together anyway. But I think for this song, you reached out to me, and then um, then we went to the studio and recorded the song. Yeah. So had the writing already happened before then? Like, was that over Zoom or something, or did you write it together as well, or was that with other people? So what had happened was there was a, a songwriting camp a couple of years before, um, but I had like the chords in my mind. So we already started writing something, which was like basically a draft demo with two other friends of mine. Um, but it kind of was one of those ones that would really need someone perfect to fit the vibe. And obviously you mature as an artist or whatever, and you, you, you think things are not the best and whatever. So um, at some point it clicked. I don't, I don't know what it was. I thought about why don't we get Naveni to come and put her twist on it as well. So we, we obviously changed a lot of the lyrics and, and I, then it, the song was born then. So it just worked. It clicked. It went really fast. As soon as we had the first studio session, the song was pretty much almost done after mm-hmm. the first day. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as well. I'm curious as to where the inspiration for the song came from as well, because it's very much, I think you guys have described this yourself as it's a kind of like a toxic love affair that it's describing. But then at the same time, like if you were listening to it without listening to the words, it's very much the type of thing that I'd like to have on like on a, like a Sunday morning, like light coming through the windows, like with a cup of coffee, that sort of thing. Very like pleasant. But then obviously what you're describing isn't necessarily pleasant. It's like this toxic thing. So like, how did this, how did the idea for the actual lyrical content come about? For me, it just felt natural to the chords, to be honest. I don't know why. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's not a new trick, is it? You know, a happy sounding song with, with somehow sad lyrics, but I, I'm not sure. I don't know. It just kind of happened like that. I mean, Naveni maybe can speak to when we were writing in the studio. Yeah, I mean, well, you sent me you sent me the demo, and as mm-hmm. like after like five seconds of listening to the demo, I was like, oh my god, I just love this tune. The way it was written in the demo version and the feel it gave, and as you say, for me, it's also like a Sunday morning. There's like some sexiness to the song, but it's also very like down to earth and raw. With that, like I love that about the song. And um, mm-hmm. then we rewrote some things. But yeah, I I love the feel to the song as well. Argyle, if you were the one who had um, done the original demo, had you always intended for it to be a duet, or was there ever going to be just like a solo release? Well, I didn't really know going into the songwriting session. So it was at a songwriting camp, and the day before, I had already written. A really strong song. Actually, it was the Swiss Eurovision song last year. Just casually just drop that in there. <laughs> well, well, no, but the thing is that this camp's only two days, and it's like we'd already no, sorry, three days, and we'd already. This was the last day, and it was quite clear for us already. So we're like, hey, let's just mess about, um, because that's what the camp kind is designed for. And it just so happened the other girl, Tea. Uh, who actually went to the Eurovision last year for Austria. She uh, she was a great singer. And I don't know why, it just kind of, it worked at the time to have a male and female voice. And that's just what the song turned into. And then that was the problem. I liked it so much and everybody else liked it so much that it would just be weird to release it without a female voice on it after that, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I think I finally landed in the right place. I'm happy about it. How did the writing process work between you and Taya? Like, was it just, did it flow? And the demo, like, how did it, how did did that go? 
It very much flowed. I think the demo was done in two hours. Yeah, something like that. It was it was very quick, but it was just the, the guitar chords I'd been messing around, pretending I was a jazz guitarist <laughs> for about I don't know a day and a half, and and I, like that was just the first four chords that I got really I don't know attracted to kind of playing. It almost kind of read itself, to be honest. It yeah. was it was done really fast. I love those songs, though. I love yeah. also when we were when we were in the studio. Um, it's something. I, I recognize because I like working really fast, fast. Like mm. I like writing a song in one hour and having it all done at the end of the day and having the <laughs> next day. Like I love making songs really fast, but in the studio, um, I did realize like you had a slightly different um, approach to recording, which was so interesting for me. It was like a bit s- slower and like, so much um attention to detail so much attention to detail. Uh, uh, like every little word because we re- rewrote the second verse and we rewrote a couple of other st- things um but yeah i'm a really quick writer but you are too but it's just like the attention to detail also with the producer in the room tom it was really interesting for me to work with you and i appreciated that the input and actually now when i'm writing songs i sometimes like take a bit more like take a breath and like, yeah, amazing. Yeah, so that was really nice. Oh, that's really sweet. Thank you. I, 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 that's that, I think that's important. That's something I fell into uh, with songwriting more for other people as well. Is just realizing kind of what's the point of the song? Why does this line lead to the next line, etc. But like two years ago, I probably didn't even do that as much. That's kind of just how this <laughs> that's how this happened, I suppose. The song flowed, but there was also a lot of work that we also put in after as well. Yeah, recording the vocals, making sure everything fits perfectly, and putting in some new ideas. So, yeah, it's like a balance, I think. And it was mm. a really good balance of flow state and just writing and having the demo and everything, and but still putting the work in. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was fun. Why do I feel like I'm kind of in like a kind of counseling session i feel like i'm like a therapist i've just kind of just let you go up and just like do your own you know when they just let the people just start talking themselves and just figure it out <laughs> I'm just doing that, like. i can talk forever though i just once i start talking it's it's over no it's good, <laughs> that's what we want so thank you for giving me so much insight into for the night and um, we're gonna give that a play in a bit but one thing that I also briefly just wanted to touch upon as well, given that both of you are here as well, was the fact that this is a collaboration between two mixed race artists, um, mm-hmm. both half um, South Asian, half Indian, half Punjabi, um, and half um, British or European. Um, and that's the same as me myself. I am actually also like half Indian, half white and half Indian on my dad's side. And I was like, right, we've got three of us in a conversation here. Let's just briefly like just touch upon this. So I just wanted to like ask, like, what's your experience been like? Obviously growing up with this mixed identity, either in, I'm not sure like um, Naveni, whether like, did you grow up in Switzerland or? Yeah. Yeah, so growing up in Switzerland or growing up in Scotland and then moving to Switzerland, like what's your own personal experiences been like? Um, And also pursuing a music career as a mixed South Asian person as well. For me, I used to really try to hide that part of me, the Indian side in me, actually, while growing up, whilst growing up. Um, 
But now as as I started, when I found music, well, I, I was always making music, listen to music. So I always sang. But when I started writing music, like when I was about like maybe six years ago, I think that's when there was a shift within me. And I started to really be proud of my Indian side and celebrate it and um, show it as well. Like I, yeah, um, I think that's that's definitely something that changed when I started writing music. I don't know if it if it was actually um, related to each other or if it was just a process I was going through, um, but that expression of myself and of my identity and of who I am, it kind of yeah went hand in hand with making music as well, um, which I'm really I'm really grateful and I'm really thankful that I can have that I have can have different insights in different cultures and it makes me more open minded as well and. Um, having as what well, the Swiss culture is really different to the British culture as well, <laughs> and uh, obviously the Indian culture is different to all of them. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was very well said. <laughs> um, no, for me, to be honest, musically it didn't um, affect me too too much until very recently. I started to think in certain ways, but I mean, just in general, growing up in Scotland and being being half Indian was quite rough to be honest because I grew up in the 90s and uh, there was a lot of racism you know it was always a topic it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily easy I would say that and um, I, I suppose also I kind of I, I grew up and I'm a Scottish family um, obviously I'd still see my Indian family a lot and everything but I feel like I feel like I probably also kind of tried to push it down for a long time uh, but then I don't know at a certain age you start to get into it and you and you realise it. I don't know. It's it's good to have mixed backgrounds, actually. It gives you a different perspective. You can be open-minded. And uh, to be honest, now that I live in Switzerland, nobody knows what I am. Everybody thinks I'm Spanish. Well, at least you're not called Carla. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't really affect me too much nowadays at all. Um, to people who know what Scottish people look like, obviously, it's a bit different. But um, most people don't know where I'm from anymore, so... No, it's a gift and I love it. I do think also as well, like with what you're saying now, I'm glad that we're in a space or, or like a point in time where I feel like there's almost a sense of pride that people have when they embrace their identity. And I think it's a lot, I want to say easier because it's not necessarily easy, but it's a lot um, more accessible maybe for people to embrace their identity and also especially when they're in the public eye as well like like for you guys for example like as artists there's that there's space for you to then go and experiment with that like be like okay like let me go down this um side of my heritage that side of my heritage whatever and there's no judgment Mm -hmm. there or anything exactly and i feel like now is is a brilliant thing to do that i think it even comes to your advantage to have different cultural backgrounds these days especially in, in, in the arts and music and photography whatever else sure. you know what I hate when people are like oh why don't you um, like why don't you look more Indian or like why don't you dress more Indian or like you know when, <laughs> when it becomes like a unique selling point it kind of triggers me as well because I'm like it's not you know it's, yeah. deeper it's not just here to put on like to put on um, how do you say to, um, on display, and yeah. you know that's yeah that's one point as well that mm. I, I've heard a lot of people say, oh like why don't you 
make more Indian music or well, that maybe that's another thing but f- especially like visually like wear more Indian clothes uh, use yeah. it as a selling point and that kind of annoys me <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a shame as well because I feel like when stuff like that happens it also dissuades people from actually wanting to embrace it more like it kind of sends them in the other way sometimes where they're kind of like I don't want to like really engage with um this asian side of me because i don't want to be put in a box i don't want people to just see me as that so it's a lot easier for me to just remain sort of ambiguous and people aren't gonna like put me in a box you know what i mean 100 percent. i just think when you when it feels like a money grab kind of thing you know when you're using yeah. it just to get more success which a lot of people do these days no dropping any names obviously but um i know what you mean if it feels forced, it's weird to me. Actually, my artist name used to be Argyle Singh. It used to be my, my kind of my, my actual name. But it, I felt like it was just confusing people because people either didn't get it and then it was like kind of funny because, oh, Singh and he sings. Or they got the the cultural reference behind the name and then they were kind of confused because my first name's really Scottish. So I just made it Argyle alone to avoid that whole thing and then people can find out later on when they if, you know if they choose to follow and, and they actually want to get to know you as an artist not just because it's full on display you know yeah no definitely but this has actually been really nice as well like even though it's been a brief just to have like a little bit of like again I don't know why you keep going to this but I just feel like it's just been on a group therapy call to be honest like we should have another set up another zoom call like next week <laughs> go through this therapy thing again <laughs> there you go man but we charge Swiss prices mate just so you know <laughs> back to the reason we're here which is obviously both you guys as artists what's next for both of you then because obviously for the night is still very much a fresh new track. I imagine you're still promoting that, but what's next? So I have my EP coming uh, end of March. I'm so excited about this EP. I've been really? working on it for a year now and um, it's not the tracks are not quite finished yet, but yeah, I have my EP coming called Comfort by end of March. Two singles will be dropping before the EP drops and I'm just so excited to get that project out there because I have so much more music that will be coming after the EP. So yeah, I love putting stuff out and it feels like just the full cycle moment and then you can move on to the next. <laughs> yeah, so I have my EP coming comfort end of March. As for me uh, right now, um, I'm going to release five more songs this year for sure. Uh, it's actually going to be an EP moving on to the next kind of style like I was talking about. Uh, it took a bit of a, a darker turn than I expected, but I'm really excited about it. Um, going to do a bunch of live recordings for that. Um, as far as releases go, though, it's going to be three singles and then the EP. Um, I'm not sure which order the singles are yet, therefore I can't give you a date. But the next single will probably be beginning of summer, so April, May time. And then singles throughout the year, end of year, EP would be released. And then let's see, maybe an album next year. We're going we're gonna to find out. Nice. oh that'd be amazing Argyle I know I can't wait to record my first full album yeah um, that's going to be nice especially we've got like a whole band that I've played with for years now so I'm excited to just go to a studio somewhere for a week or two and uh, and just enjoy that process because I haven't had the chance to do that for myself yet I've only done albums with other artists mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to it aye that'll be great you know what I love is that I've asked both of you what's coming and both of you have got like a plan 
Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not just, oh, you know, there'll be more music, like just wait and see sort of thing. Both of you have said that <laughs> I've got this project planned, I'm doing this, 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 and that's the best way to be. And I love like also when artists are like, they've got a surplus of music and they're like, they're constantly thinking about the next thing, like either the next album or the next lot of music after this EP sort of thing. So I'm really looking forward to um, continuing to see and support you guys as well, like as you continue to release music, definitely. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I me too. Thank you. So if people do want to follow each of you on your journeys and catch new music, etc., where's the best place for them to find you? I, I'm very active on Instagram. I post almost every day, like... Um, yeah, so on Instagram, you can just really get close to me and my music and then on Spotify and everywhere. I've got a new music video coming out soon, so YouTube too, and you can listen to my music everywhere. And is it just at um, Naveni? Yeah, Naveni. <laughs> just Naveni. On Instagram, cool. it's naveni.artist, and then otherwise it's just Naveni. And what about yourself, Argyle? Um, yeah, on other social media platforms like Facebook, uh, Instagram that I don't know who uses Facebook anymore I don't know why I'm saying that <laughs> it's argyle.official just because there was some other people trying to steal my name so uh, <laughs> we were pretentious at all but uh, I, you can find my music on all platforms Spotify Deezer Apple etc but the best way to keep up to date with what's coming for me is Instagram uh, I'm not really in TikTok that much I probably should be but um, I, I'm not so Check Instagram. That's the best way to keep in touch. 